All right, well, good evening, and a couple of little things I, we need to go over besides a sick mic. We have some people that we really need to pray for tonight. Um, our sister, uh, one of the oldest saints in her fellowship, fell and broke her hip and had surgery, Sarah Murray. Uh, Sarah and Harold normally sit right over here on the side, and Sarah fell down. I talked to her daughter uh, via uh, text, and I, well, we, we went back and forth trying to catch, catch uh, uh, each other on the phone today. And uh, she just texted me and said that Sarah is out of surgery, and the doctor said it went well. But uh, we need to pray for Sarah um, and, and so many others in our fellowship that are struggling and, and those that are sick. And um, I even have this little note here, just to remember 9-11. I know that social media and news has, has just been buzzing about that all day, but as a church, I, I really think it's important for us to remember so many people that this day is, is just such a, a dark day for them as well. So let's start our study with just a time in prayer. Let's just all bow and I'll lead us in prayer and we'll pray for these people and, and the needs of our nation. Father, I just want to lift up our country to you. And as we remember this horrific attack on our citizens by these radicals and uh, the death and the hurt and heartache that is still uh, so fresh in the hearts and minds of families who lost mothers and fathers and husbands and wives. And, and we just pray, Lord, for our nation. We ask, God, that you would bring healing. And we thank you for the many uh, memorials that are going on around our country today. So we, we just add, Lord, our prayer and and ask for healing. Well, Father, we pray for our sister Sarah Murray, and we're concerned for her, and we pray, God, for Harold, and in their, their older years, Lord, as they are sure to know you and, and have committed their lives to you, and they're looking forward to that mansion that you're building for them now in heaven, the place you prepared for them, Lord Jesus. But we don't want them to go, and their family is praying, and we're praying along with them that you would bring healing to Sarah, that you would bring peace to Harold. And Lord, for those in our fellowship that have endured heart conditions and bypass surgery and, and a heart transplant even just recently in Philip's uh, daughter Bernice, and how you're working in, in our lives, Lord, we're so grateful, thankful. It, it reminds us how frail we truly are in our bodies of flesh. Give us strength, Lord, to, to love you, to serve you, to walk with you all the days of our life. And, and Lord, there are many others in our church that are hurting, and we pray for them as well. Touch them, Lord, encourage them. Tonight, Lord, as we turn now to your word, in these final chapters of the book of Numbers, a study that began at the beginning of this year, we're thankful, Lord, for all that we're learning. Help us to conclude the study and apply the things that you have written in this historical record, the living word that we study tonight, this Old Testament. We love it, Lord, and we're so grateful for your word. Reveal its truth to us tonight as we now open the pages of Scripture and read together and study, and may we find application for our lives today. In Jesus we pray, amen. 
Amen. We're in the final chapters, as I've said, in this wonderful book of Numbers, the book of murmurings, the book of complainings, when the children of Israel uh, have been freed from their 400 years of bondage and found themselves wandering in the desert because of their disobedience. The last few chapters, uh, this previous chapter, chapter 33, we had a review of, of the history and all the encampments of the children of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness for those 38 years. And each one of those places they camped, there was a significant uh, happening there. The, the people in their unbelief, or they complained, there was enough water, not enough food. Uh, they, they didn't have what they believed they needed, but God had led them there instead of trusting him for his provision. They whined and complained. And in each one of these camps, with their unpronounceable names. And you might remember that. You can go back and look at some of the names of those places, those obscure places that really are meaningless to us. They were very meaningful for these people because they would have remembered what happened there. This is the second generation, as you'll recall, of the children of Israel. The first generation has died in those 38 years of wandering. And it's these young people that from the age of 20 and younger, infants to about 20 years old, that were allowed to travel with God for those 38 years, and now they're going to go into this promised land, into Canaan. So God has been preparing them to get there. Now, at the end of verse, or chapter 33, you remember that God gave specific instructions to demolish the idols and wipe out the people, the Canaanites, and we talked about the severity of that and the reason God did that, because God wants his new people with a new law and his presence leading them. He wants them to be in a place that is totally pure. Couldn't be with these peoples that were totally idolatrous. Uh, we looked at and I talked about some of the things and practices of of the Canaanite people, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the people that were surrounding and will continue to surround the children of Israel and give them problems. And the reason that Israel even today has problems is because they did not obey God and his word back here in Numbers when God called them to go into that land, wipe out the people, tear down the high places, go into this land, because I want you to be pure and separate and holy. They disobeyed God. So they've struggled with that their whole lives. In our chapter tonight, this is really important. We're going to look at maps. I got a couple of maps because if you're in a geography, we're going to read about another, a bunch of unpronounceable names, people that are given uh, the, the leadership within the tribe as the land's being divvied out. And we're going to hear these names, and we're going to talk about the place. And so I'm going to show you a couple of maps that, just to help you in your mind's eye see what we're talking about and the borders and boundaries of the promised land and God's leaders as God gives them the responsibility of distributing the land to each tribe. And then each one of those leaders was going to distribute portions of that land to each one of the families and there's a lot of people here. There's over 2 million people, all divided up and organized into tribes. And now God is going to give them this land. And so he's preparing the people for this purpose. He wants them to take the land. He wants them to occupy the land in a way he prescribed. 
And here's how it applies to you and I today as Christians. God has done everything to provide your salvation by his grace. You do nothing to earn or to to work for the salvation that God gives you freely, but it's up to you to take it and occupy it. Same thing is true with these people. God sent them into the land, gave them portions, but they had to occupy, they had to take it. You, as a Christian, are responsible to take, not to earn your salvation, but to own it and to live it and to flourish in it. God provided this land flowing with milk and honey so these people could flourish. God wants you to flourish. He's given you everything you need to be successful as a believer in Christ. We'll look at some verses from Ephesians 2 in our study, but as we look at these borders and things tonight, let me show you a map. We'll start with this map. I didn't bring a pointer, but I think you can get a picture geographically in your mind. This is basically those two blue stripes, kind of show the borders that Abraham was given back in Genesis 15, 18. Here's the verse, and we'll go back to this map in a moment. Notice Genesis 15, verse 18. It's going to come up here on the screen in just a moment, I think. There it is. This is what God told Abraham. To your descendants, I have given this land. Here's the boundary. Notice, from the river in Egypt all the way to the river Euphrates. So let's go back to the map now. And you'll see the borders there. This area that God's talking about encompasses Egypt, that that kind of that eastern portion of northern Africa, and all the way across most of Saudi Arabia, um, all the way to uh, Kuwait. Kuwait would be right there on the border of the the, uh, uh, United Arab Emirates. I'm actually going to go to to Dubai in about three weeks. I'm going to be in Dubai and then I'm going to fly back to um, Entebbe in Africa for a couple of weeks for a conference. Um, I'm going to be teaching a bunch of people, uh, uh, soldiers in the southern Sudanese army. Me and some other pastors will be doing that. I'm looking forward to that. But this, see this little area? Well, it's, it's actually a large area between the two, ri- the river uh, uh, Nile and then the river Euphrates River uh, there and all of that area. Now, that was the first area that was described by God that God was going to give his descendants. Remember, Abraham had no children. He said, oh, gee, how am I going to handle this? I don't even have any kids, God. And God said, see the stars in the heavens. See the sand on the sea. You're going to have more offspring than all of these. And here it's now coming true. Here, one of God's promises is, is again coming true And we have the children of Israel who are now going to occupy this land. Now, in Numbers 34, this is what's important to note here. The land that they're going to get, here's my second map. This is more realistic. The red line there kind of shows you the borders we're going to be defining tonight as we read through this section. So we've greatly reduced God's original promised land down to what's known pretty close to what Israel is today, but even when you look at this map, it's not, when you go to Israel, it's not, you have uh, Philistia, which is is, uh, the Gaza area. There's the West Bank that takes up a large section there next to that red line right in the middle of the country. This area that the, the 
nation of Israel has given over for peace. They've been giving over for peace from year after year after they became a sovereign nation back in 48. They've been giving portions of their land over for peace, for peace, because they're attacked all the time. So they're down to this little teeny little bit of land right now. But we're going to look at these borders tonight, and you'll have to remember that in the previous chapters, we got the original story about how God has brought the people right up to the promised land, right to the edge. They're actually camped on the east side of the Jordan River. They can see Jericho across the river as they look into the distance. So they're going to go into, and that'll be the first city that they're going to really attack, and they don't even attack it with, with swords and in a military fashion. All they do is march around it, as you recall, and we'll get there. That's where we're going to go. When I get back from my trip to Africa, we're going to go right to the book of Joshua on Wednesday night. So we'll finish this up before I go, and then when I get back, we'll be continuing our journey with the children of Israel as they go across River Jordan. But they're, they're on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and some of the tribes, two and a half, Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, they don't want to go in. They're happy with the grazing land in the desert. If you've ever been to this part of the world, it's very desolate. There's hardly any bushes. The only thing that can live there is a goat. It's, it's very desolate. But these people, Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, they've really compromised. And we'll, we'd rather stay here. And Moses said, you know, it's not fair. God's called us to go in here, and there's a bunch of people to be conquered. There's things to be done. And you're not going to get anything unless you send your fighting men with us. And they said, okay, we'll send our fighting men with us, but we're going to build cities, and our people and herds are going to stay here, east of the Jordan. So for the nine and a half tribes now, we'll see, are going to enter the land. These tribes are going to be given this promised land that you saw there on the map. We begin with the southern and western border. Now I'm going to read through these fairly quickly, so that's why I took a little bit more time on the introduction, but look at verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan to its boundaries. Verse 3, Your southern border shall be from the wilderness of Zin along the border of Edom. So that would be all the way down next to Egypt way down toward Egypt. There's the southern, and today the southern border is right there on Egypt. And it shall extend eastward to the end of the Salt Lake or the, what? What's that? That's the Dead Sea, right? So it's going to go from, from Egypt, uh, uh, and the southern border is going to go all the way over to the east, all the way to the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea. Your border shall turn from the southern side of the ascent of Akribim, Continued to Zin and be on the south side of Kadesh Barnea. You've heard that before, Kadesh Barnea. Then it shall go to Hazar, Adar, continue to Asmon, and then the border shall turn from Asmon to the brook of Egypt, and it shall end at the sea. So there's specific areas that they know, they understand, they've camped there. It doesn't mean as much to you and I, but Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was that place 38 years before. God had led them to that place. They could see the promised land. 
But they didn't go in. Why? Because when they sent the 12 spies, the majority report, the 10 spies said, we can't conquer, we can't win, cities are fortified, the giants are there, we're like locusts, we're going to be eaten alive. And so the people in unbelief believed the 10 spies. They didn't believe the two faithful. The only two of those 10 spies, by the way, that we'll see in our story tonight that are still living and leading, Joshua and who? Caleb. And so those said, we can handle it, we can do this. But the people in unbelief were turned away at Kadesh Barnea, and they wandered for 38 years, wander, wander, to all those different places. And now God's brought them back, and they're ready to go in. The new generation, the old generation's dead. This is the new generation that's going to now move in there. Verse 6 says, For the western border, you shall have the great sea for a border, and this shall be your western border. The great sea would be the Mediterranean. So the whole western border of Israel is the Mediterranean Sea. The northern border is next here in verse 7, and this shall be your northern border. From the great sea, you shall mark out your border line to Mount Hor. From Mount Hor, you shall mark out your border to the entrance of Hamath. Then the direction of the border shall be toward Zedad, and the border shall proceed to Ziphron, and it shall end at Hazar Enon. This shall be your northern border. Now, again, we don't know exactly where these places are. There's a lot of uh, uh, geography and study in the Bible, and there are some places we know that are there today. Archaeologists are finding new things all the time, but generally we know this location and these places pretty accurately, uh, if not down to the very, you know, acre. Uh, But Mount Hor is still there today. Mount Hor is way up by... Lebanon, which way up in the north by Lebanon. It's past Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is in Israel. But you go way up further north to Mount Hor. So that was their northern boundary. And then we have the eastern border. Verse 10, you shall mark out the eastern border from Hazar Anon to Stephem. The border shall go down from Stephem to Ribda on the east side of En. And the border shall go down to reach the eastern side of the Sea of Chenereth. The border shall go down along the Jordan. There's the Jordan River, and it shall end where? At the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea. This shall be your land with the surrounding borders. So here's the map again, which kind of shows it, and you can see, actually it's hard to see in this map. The, the Dead Sea is right down there, and the, kind of in the middle of that red line, and then the Sea of Kenezaret or the Galilee is up, up above that, and, and the Jordan River Valley, the Trans-Jordan River Valley is right there along that red and that blue line there that you see. But basically, these borders are, are close to what the borders are Uh, today. Not exact, but they're close to what they are today. Um, But even in the reign of David, the the most powerful time of Israel's history was during the reign of David and Solomon. David was the the greatest king that Israel ever had, and and they began to actually expand their borders because of David and his military prowess, and he was a great general and As you know, he fought many, many battles. And even during that time, when Israel was at its strongest, they never really enlarged their borders too much more than what you see here. And what we learn from this is God had given them that land that went from Egypt all the way across what is now known as 
is uh, the western portion of Iraq and, and Saudi Arabia. God gave them, that was the promised land that Abraham was promised. They ended up with less. Why? Because they weren't obedient to God. But God always allows his people to enlarge their borders. When you read the Psalms and you read the other prophets, you'll hear about borders and enlarging your borders. It's, it's God's way to prosper his people by enlarging their borders. It's a, a metaphor for saying you're going to be successful. Your borders will be enlarged. I believe their borders could have been enlarged. Why weren't they? Because they were disobedient. They were disobedient to God. And we have that record in the Old Testament. We read about it over and over again. In the New Testament, we have this same principle that God has given us in our salvation all the riches and fullness spiritually that will make us successful and get to the promised land. The problem is we don't always appropriate the truth and the spiritual truths that God gives us. We don't plant ourselves in the word of God. We walk by sight rather than by faith. We do things on our own uh, rather than listening to the Lord. And so we don't really enlarge our borders because we don't take all that God has offered us or given to us in our inheritance. Ephesians teaches us that very thing, who you are in Christ, how spiritually rich you are in Jesus, and how those riches are available to be used for the glory of God, not riches in terms of material things. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. These are spiritual riches. They, be, they, they are very clearly packaged that way in the, uh, the first chapter of Ephesians, who we are and all the riches we have for the glory of God. But it's a matter of appropriation. It's a matter of the Christian taking those things as a present possession. See, that's, that's where the application for this study is because these people... They went into the land, but they really never did appropriate everything. They never did take it like God wanted them to. And so it becomes a really great example for you and I. Why, do we, why, why are we defeated as Christians? Uh, not to blame anybody. S- suffering is, is, is difficult. A pastor at Harvest that committed suicide yesterday. Horrible. It's easy to be overcome when you get your eyes off the Lord. And everyone, even pastors, deal with depression and and struggle. It's up to us to appropriate. It's up to us to walk by faith. It's up to us to encourage one another. If you come in here depressed and you don't seek prayer when the elders are available, if you don't come to the pastor and say, you know, I'm really struggling. I I feel like self-destruction tonight. And you don't seek that prayer or your brothers and sisters in Christ uh, you're, you're not taking advantage. You're not taking the land. You're not occupying the, the land. God gives us everything that we need in Christ. And yes, even though we know these things, tragedy strikes and difficulties come because we're frail, because we're fleshly, because we, we all struggle. We have spiritual riches, and they're all ours We just don't appropriate all those things. Let me show you a couple here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, that you may know, Paul writes, what is the hope of his calling? 
what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? See, you have an inheritance just like these children of Israel had an inheritance of land. You as a Christian have an inheritance. And the joy of the Christian life, the victory in the Christian life is discovering these things one step at a time. God allows you to take a step and and then you have to trust him for the next one and you keep stepping and keep moving and you grow in Christ. And God wants you to grow and he wants you to take the land. He wants you to occupy the land. It's yours, you just have to take it. That's the, the teaching that we're seeing here in this 34th chapter of Numbers. Salvation is yours tonight, but you have to take it. Paul tells you that the riches of Christ are yours, and I would encourage you to read chapter 1, but here's another long passage. Notice behind me here, verse 14 of chapter 1. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of what? Our inheritance. Until the redemption of his purchased possession to the praise and his glory. We've been given all that we need to succeed as Christians. We just have to take the land. We have to occupy the space. We have to appropriate all those things. In other words, Paul is saying you heard the gospel. You trusted after you heard the word of truth. You heard the gospel of salvation. You believed in Jesus Christ. And then God did an amazing thing. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. That sealing, by the way, is where I get my belief that you cannot lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. You didn't do anything to earn your salvation. How many would jump up right now and say, Pastor Lee, I did some really good stuff, and and I'm worthy of salvation. See, you're not going to do it because you know it's wrong. You didn't do anything to earn your salvation. You didn't even find God. He found you, and he saved you, and he did all the work. You're saved entirely, completely by the grace of God. So how could you lose something that he saved you from? You didn't save yourself, he saved you. So how are you going to lose it? I would say there's a lot of Christians that are defeated and they're, they don't appropriate, they're not taking the land, they don't occupy the land. They, they live on the edges, they live on the outskirts, they, they don't live in fullness of the land. So how do you learn that, Pastor Lee? Well, you read the word. You pray, you pray, you read the word, you spend time with Christians, you serve others, you, you jump in, you're all in, you go for it. And as you do, you start finding that this is what makes life fulfill, uh, fulfillment in life. It's, it's serving the Lord. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit because you believe. That's what Paul is saying. It's one of the riches that we have in Christ. And now we operate, we walk by faith, we walk in the Spirit, we Share those spiritual gifts with one another. We're controlled by the Holy Spirit. Again, Ephesians is a great book to help you understand all the riches that you have. The problem with the Israelites was God gave them the land, but they never fully occupied the land. They didn't obey God. They didn't do what he wanted. They didn't take it. If you want your salvation to be complete, you gotta, that's, that's where your role comes in. You don't add to your salvation. That's not what I'm saying but you, you occupy it, you enjoy it, you thank God for it. And while you're saved, you still go through the valley. There's still a valley. There's still hardships. There's difficulties. There's, 
but you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. You trust in the Lord. And then you have the church body around you so that when you fall and break your hip, you get phone calls and letters and prayer from the women's and the men and the different groups and your friends call you on the phone. It's a blessing when you get sick and you're down and you hear from your brothers and sisters. I I know, I, I see the countenance of those that have gone through that and how much they love it. Ephesians 1, verse 7. Let me show you this verse. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You need to live in that. You're saved by the grace of God. You're redeemed. How could God forgive me? I'm so bad. My sin is so awful. He shed his blood. His blood is enough to pay the price of the penalty of your sin. It's enough. It's way more than enough. And he paid it in full, and God accepted that receipt from him, from the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood for you. And so when you believe, you have these riches. You just need to live in it. Now, I want to give you some lessons about borders. We're looking at borders and all these places we don't know, but we're understanding that God's going to give this land to these people, and they need to take it. And here's some lessons about borders, my next point here. Number one, don't settle for less than God has for you. The problem with the Israelites is they, they did not take control of all the land that God had given them. The land was big enough for those two and a half million people, but their vision for it was way smaller. God has blessed you and I with all spiritual blessings in Christ. In other words, you have everything you need to make it through struggles and financial hardship and marital problems and and just family issues. God has given you everything you need to get through those things. So don't settle for less. Don't let Satan defeat you. Don't let others that say, well, you're just nothing and, and it's not all going to work for naught and why do you go to church and why do you believe in that God anyway? Don't settle for less than God. Read Ephesians 1 and find out how rich you are in Christ. All his promises, I mean, we know the main promises. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know my thoughts I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts of a future, not of evil, thoughts for hope and a future. And then Romans 8, 31, when, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you live that way, Christian? That's the way we're to live. The, the truth is, who can be against us? And then the, the how is... He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Spiritual things, providing for us. Not material, but spiritual, eternal life, the hope of heaven. Beyond the failing body, beyond the finances that won't make it, beyond those things, we have these spiritual riches. That's a reason to live. That's, that's the hope that we're given. The second lesson about borders is number, number two here, God's promises have limitations. As big as the land was that they were going to occupy with the two and a half million people, it still had boundaries. There always will be boundaries in our lives. Wouldn't you agree? 
When you're little, as a child, as a parent, you give boundaries to your kids when they're little. And then those boundaries are supposed to grow and get bigger and bigger as you mature, as you educate, as you, you as a parent, talk to your children and, and help them. You, you know, don't trust your kids to others. You raise your children. And as you do, raise them in the Lord. And you teach them God's word. And their boundaries get bigger and bigger and bigger. But there's always going to be a boundary somewhere, even for you as an adult. There's a boundary and those boundaries are really good for us. Those boundaries are set there to keep us safe. God places boundaries in our life to keep us protected. And the secret of satisfaction comes from trusting God, trusting the Lord in those boundaries. Notice this verse, Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. There's still boundaries, but God gives you those desires that he's put in your heart. We all have different desires. For me, it's I love to be flying somewhere, flying, whether it's a hang glider or an airplane. I just love that. It's a desire. God gave it to me. I blame it on him. Have you ever done that? He gives you this great desire. It's like, Lord, thank you. That's, it's awesome. You have a desire. God's placed it there, and he's going to bring it to fruition because he loves you. He gives you those desires but there's still boundaries, obedience to his word, boundaries that keep you safe, and you have to live within those borders. Thirdly, number three, boundaries keep us safe. Again, keep us away from where we don't belong. Just as the land outside the border, the Moab, Moab and the Ammonites that were on the eastern side of Israel, the, the Egyptians that were in the south, the Assyrians that were up in the north, don't go there. There's, those are the boundaries that keep them safe. Egypt was not in the promised land. God didn't want his people to go down to Egypt. Why? Because they were so idolatrous, the Egyptians, the pyramids, all the things. We studied those, pardon me, those things when we began our study. Egypt and all their false gods. God didn't want his children to be in Egypt. He had a special land, a special place for them. I love the boundaries that God uses to protect us. Here's, I've used this in the last few weeks, and I'm, I'm not trying to hammer you with this, but these are clear boundaries. I want to give you some clear boundaries tonight. Here's Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 6. I'll read them. You know them. Do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Question mark. Don't you know that? The Corinthians were very, very carnal don't you understand this, Paul says. And then he gives the list. These are boundaries. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't you understand that they won't inherit the kingdom of God? Those are boundaries. But here's what I love about this Verse, very negative. Verse 11 says, and, and such were some of you. But now Paul reminds these people, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. That, that was your old life. That's the old nature. You've been brought out of that. Don't go back there. It's a boundary. Stay out of those things. When you come to Christ, you're made new. You're a new creature in Christ. That's why you struggle with the boundary. 
because you used to do it and you, you derive pleasure for a moment in that area. You struggle with that. It's that known sin in your own life. And when you finally succumb to it, you feel bad, you feel sick, you feel emotionally drained, you feel you're a failure, you don't want to go to church, you don't want to read your Bible, you don't want to pray. In other words, you're miserable as a Christian. We've all been there. We've all been in that place. And then the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life and you listen to the Holy Spirit rather than your flesh and the Holy Spirit reminds you of who you are. You're you belong to God. You're his son. You're his daughter. He loves you. He's forgiven you. If you confess your sin, he forgives you. He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. You just need to confess it. You need to admit that sin and then grow. So all these are lessons about borders here. Don't settle for less than God has for you. God's promises have limitations and boundaries keep us safe. The, the bottom line is that you need to know where the borders are. And the only way you can know that is from the Word of God. The Word of God clearly gives us the boundaries and the borders. So if you want to stay within God's borders, know the Word of God. Now, the second half of chapter 34 is going to go pretty quickly. I'm not even going to read it all. A, bunch, a list of names again. But here's what I'm naming or calling the fair division of the land. It's the fair division of the land Verse 16, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, these are the names of the men who shall divide the land among you as an inheritance. Eliezer, the priest, Joshua, the son of Nun, and you shall take one leader from every tribe to divide the land for the inheritance. And then he begins with this list of names, but notice the first one in verse 19, Caleb. And then Verse 20, you get more and more. You get all these different names. Now, the, the reason I've entitled this the fair division of the land is that God is the one that's leading this. He's the one that says, you know, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want the land to be divided. Again, God is giving instructions to Moses. Moses gives instructions to the people. Moses was the go-between God and man. Moses is the one that gives the word of God to the people, and so God instructs Moses. Way back in chapter 33, actually, just flip back to chapter 33. We're going to look at one verse, verse 54. Right at the end of chapter 33, verse 54, God gave the instruction of exactly how he wanted the land to be divided. Here it is. You shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger, you shall give a larger inheritance. To the smaller, you shall give a smaller inheritance. There, everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your father. So your name, the tribe is going to be given a big section of land. And then the leader of the tribe is going to divvy out the land to the families based on the size of the family and based by Lot, the three mechanisms that God puts into place here to make it fair. He's making this fair so the people can't say, well, that wasn't fair. How come they got this land and how come we got that one? And so there wouldn't be war within the tribes. God is saying, I'm in control of this and I'm going to make it done this way. This is how I want you to do it. This is going to be fair, beginning with proportional. It's given out proportionally. 
Larger family, large land. Smaller family, smaller groups of land or tribes the same way. The land was divided proportionally. So it's fair, it's equitable, it's equivalent to the size of the tribe or the family. Secondly, the lot, they're, they're di- the land is divided by lots. In other words, they're going to cast lots, draw straws. The, the draw is what God is going to use, and God uses lots throughout the Old Testament to do different things. Remember the ephod, the ephod and, the, and, and inside the ephod was the, the urim and the thummim that the priest carried around. It went around his neck. It was the, the last piece that he put on his, in his priestly garment. And it was his way to determine the will of God because he didn't know. You know, I'll pray, but I'm not really sure. And then he would go, okay, if it's the, the white rock, well, I'm just using that as an example, or the black rock, it's this answer. And he would pull it out and say, oh, that's what it is. Here it is. Everybody can see what it is by lot. In other words, the people had to trust that God was leading the priest. The people have to trust that God is in control with the lot. It wasn't up to the priest. It wasn't up to the tribal leader. It was up to God. God was leading the whole way. So it was fair. It was equitable. It was just in all the way. So nobody could say it wasn't fair. It's, this is God and his providence. I love that word. I, should bring that word back in our vocabulary. The providence of God, meaning the protective care of God. God is always working in the background of your life. The longer that I've lived with Christ, the longer that I've, I've just loved and enjoyed salvation through hardships and difficulties, I see the providence of God. And you look back in your life, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and oh God, I'm so glad that you directed me that way. I didn't like it at the time, but I'm so grateful. Your hand, perfect. Your plan is, is perfect. I'm glad I'm on this path. The providence of God. So that's that lot. And then thirdly, notice what God does in verse 16 here in chapter 34. He appoints men that are going to supervise this distribution of the land. The Lord spoke to Moses, verse 17. These are the names of the men that are going to divide the land. And beginning with the high priest, Eleazar, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So beginning with the high priest, Joshua, and then verse 19, Caleb, which I think that's significant that he's named right there at the beginning. The land is going to be divided that way. So these people will be responsible. After, after Moses gives it, you know, turns it over to Eleazar, and Eleazar declares it to the tribe, this is your area there, it's up there and defines the border. Then it was up to the tribal leader to divvy out the land to the people, to the families, and each family unit. So these, these were wise men. They're chosen by God, each one of them, even though their names really mean very little to us as we read this list of names. That's why I'm not going to do it. You can do that. Go home and read that, eat your French fries, and enjoy your time. But here's, this is kind of an interesting thing. The names, some of these names are unique, not all of them, but some of them are very unique, even though they're hard to articulate and pronounce. They're theophoric names. In other words, their names, many of them, contain the name of God. Whenever you see E-L in a name, Samuel, whenever you see E-L, that's the name of God, L, or Eli. So when you see those in these names, like in verse 20, it's Shemuel, 
verse 21, it's Elidad. Verse uh, 23, it's Haniel. Verse 24, Kemuel. These names are significant because within their name, they have this name of God. So when they were growing up as little ones, remember, their parents named him that. Maybe their parents had great faith, but they were fearful of the giants, the fortified cities, whatever, and they made the mistake of unbelief. They died, but their sons grew up, and they have this name, they have this heritage, and now they're walking by faith, and God has given them the privilege of leading their tribe. It's kind of a beautiful thought there. As God appoints them, they must have been special because God chose them to distribute this land. And so here's... You know, in in wrapping up this section tonight, think about this. God has a place for each one of us, a path to walk on, and a promised land. Each one of us have a promised land, a place that God has led us to. It's, It's a place that God wants us to occupy. San Bernardino. Wait, 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 Pastor Lee, the San Bernardino is no promised land. Mentone? I don't know. You you can name any city around, Riverside, Redlands, it doesn't matter. Did you know that San Bernardino is this church's promised land? This is the place that God has called this church to occupy. This is the place that God wants us to be a testimony for his grace, to proclaim Jesus Christ share the love of God with whoever, whenever, the grace of God through proclaiming the gospel, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And God has put you in this church, God has put you in this city as a Christian. Gee, you know, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable here though, Pastor Lee, but you need to take it. You need to occupy it. I love the fact that God has given us this place and he's reminding us over and over again that it's really up to us. It's not what we've been given, it's what we bring to the situation. As Christians, we have all spiritual riches and blessings in Christ. We have so much that we just need to give it out to other people, telling them about the love of God and sharing God. The children of Israel were given a land. They were given borders. They didn't occupy it. They ran from it at first. In Kadesh Barnea, they didn't believe the Lord, and God made them 38 years. And finally, they're coming into that place, that territory. There's some mountains there. I don't want to go that way. There's an ocean over there. Maybe that'd be better for me. There's a valley over in that little. There's always hills and valleys and mountains and difficulties and hardships in every land. We have been given all the riches that we need in Christ to succeed. The Christian life is filled with hills and valleys like the promised land for the children of Israel. And we just need to take it. We need to occupy it. We need to be bold about where we live and and share the love of God because it's not politics that's going to change one thing in this country. It's the love of God, and it's you sharing Jesus Christ. That changes the heart of people. 
That's what makes a difference for eternity. And we have this wonderful opportunity to either learn from the children of Israel and stop our whining and complaining and share the love of Jesus Christ, or we can whine and complain and travel around and around in circles in the wilderness. It's really up to you, isn't it? God has given you everything to be successful. He only gives good things to his own. It's time to take it and appropriate it. Amen?